Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Speaking of being compelled, I don't, I, I don't believe that people choose to or don't choose to have children. I think there's something way bigger that goes on than that. You do. Biologically, I, you mean? Yeah, neurologically? Yeah. I think there's something way stronger that's happening with the beast um, than everybody's decided not to have children. I don't think that's the case. I think that is there is some of that in there. There's certainly some of that. Like, we decided specifically to have two as opposed to three. I mean, we discussed that. Mm-hmm. But the being childless versus not, I don't think there's as much decision-making as people give themselves credit for. There's something going on with either population or a, a number of other avenues of entertainment available or something. That's yeah. taken away the overwhelming desire to procreate. Well, some people cite porn. There are hormones in the water supplies, and uh, the frogs have uh, both sets of genitals and the rest of it. And uh, just, I think we're messing with our, our body chemistry. Hmm. So I, I, there are probably several factors going on here. But the national, <clears throat> national fertility data provided by the U.S. Census and Centers for Disease Control and Prevention tend to lump together all adults who aren't parents, making it difficult to understand how many people identify as child-free. And people who are studying this have realized that the methodology is probably not right, and they need to change it uh, to better understand what's happening. Again, that makes it difficult to identify trends if you change your your collection, uh, your methodology. But sometimes you just have to. But this group of social scientists did a study of a 1,000 people in Michigan, uh, which is, uh, Michigan is a very... It looks like America. It looks uh, like a mitten. Well, it looks like America and a mitten, Jack, in that uh, just uh, demographically, uh, ages, racially, etc. Uh, Michigan represents the United States very well. But in a recent study of a 1,000 people, we found that over one in four Michigan, Michigan adults did not want biological or adopted children and were therefore child-free, had no plans to have them, etc. One in four previous studies had placed the percentage between 2 and 9%. So they think the birth rate is going to continue plunging. Absolutely. Absolutely it is. And there's nothing you can do to turn it around. I don't believe. Because, like I said, there's something going on that's much bigger. It's not as much a conscious decision, I don't think. And so there's there's something big going on, some forces happening. And no, uh, it's not going to turn around anytime soon. One of my favorite Dire Straits songs. Do you remember the the band Dire Straits? Uh, Sultans of Swing, their, their gigantoid hit, and several other. They had a song called Industrial Disease, which I thought was pretty interesting. And uh, whatever this is that causes populations to start to depopulate, I think it is a complex stew of things that are related to industrialization, economic development, wealth, and, and the rest of it. Yeah, I, I think it's got a lot to do with wealth and security. Um, I was reading some Dickens over the weekend. I'm going to get on a Dickens kick, I think. Why, they little Dickens? Charles Dickens, the writer, who I just learned. Well, I'll save this for later. I learned something amazing about Charles Dickens. But, you know, he's writing about the, 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 the his fiction was very close to nonfiction. I mean, it was a description of what was going on in, in, in England at the time. In London. People were poor as dirt. I mean, their lives were miserable in all kinds of different ways. And they were cranking out kids. 
Mm-hmm. So this whole, you can't afford to have a kid today because rents are too high. Give me a freaking break. Shut people, up. People were cranking out kids left and right when their kids were going to go work in a factory at age six. Yeah. So the the idea of the, your rent's too high so you're not having a kid, it's not that. I think there probably is some, and this is probably like way deep in the programming. We may never find it. Somewhere deep within us is is a is a switch that recognizes either we need uh, well, I was going to say it's an either or, it's a a b, but it's probably not. It's probably a range of things. We need to repopulate a lot, and on the other end is we really don't need to repopulate. So if you want to have a kid, go ahead. But deep in our brain, we're getting this message. Yeah, I think something like that. I think so. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, in the 1970s, we were probably right around in the uh, the middle of that continuum, right after World War II. When there was some people that suggest a boom in babies, uh, <laughs> having lost millions of people in the greatest cataclysm known to mankind, everybody's uh, the deep brain, uh, you know, setting said, "Have kids, have kids, have kids," because we knew instinctively as a species we needed to. Yeah, I like that's what I mean. I, something like that is happening in all advanced societies where we're stopping having kids. So that's what's going on. And when the aliens come and mow us down with their ray guns and only a plucky band of survivors remains, they'll get after it like crazy. Are you kidding? If the cave is rocking, don't bother knocking. A plucky band of survivors. Here's what I learned about Charles Dickens that I did not know. He was, um, uh, some people believe he is the first worldwide celebrity to the extent that anybody knew what was going on in the world at that time because of his fiction. But before that happened, as a very young man, he was the best person known in England as a nonfiction writer. He was the most respected, best known uh reporter on Parliament for all the newspapers there. When he was 24 years old, mm-hmm. he was the most famous, powerful political journalist in London, he wrote way more words of nonfiction than he wrote of fiction, and I just thought that was interesting. It wasn't until he got older that he decided he wasn't making much money reporting on Parliament and turned his attention toward fiction, and then it really took off and made him a, a giant, giant star. One of our beloved listeners recommended a book to me. Uh, I think it is Charles Dickens. Uh... Oh, no, no. The Man Who Invented Christmas is the name of it. Hmm. It's about Charles Dickens writing A Christmas Carol and how that book was so incredibly popular. It it, it really popularized the idea of, you know, the, the goose and the presents and the tree and the dancing and the wassail and the rest of it when that was really fading away. In fact, it was looked down upon by the church at that time in England. But it also goes into his career and, and, and his ups and downs. And he wrote a bunch of failures, you know, after he'd had some giant hits. Uh, but it's a really interesting book, The Man Who Invented Christmas, uh, if you're into that sort of thing. But by God, life was miserable for a lot of people back then. Oh, Just yeah. utterly miserable. Well, Dickens himself applied like radioactive something or other to boots when he was 12, for like 12 <laughs> hours a day. I can't right. remember. Some sort of ink or something, but it had mercury in it, and it's just horrible. He'd stare out the window and just imagine things as his long, long workday stretched on at age frickin' 12. And people were cranking out kids, like I said, like crazy. So this whole idea of who'd bring a child into this world. Now, I think we need to get over this idea that we're rational actors in this. We're not. There's something going on beast-wise. Beast-wise. Mm. Beast the beast. Anyway, always interested in your opinion. 
415-295-KFTC is the text line, 415-295-KFTC. World's richest man kind of went into space today. I don't know. He went up there. He went towards space. He went towards space like 150 feet and, uh, and landed back on the ground. Hey, by the way, if you weren't a guy who doesn't want to write because it's too much work, uh, BeastWise could be your new like website and your self-help stuff and your vitamin supplements and you have seminars around the country. Just saying, you know, return to the beast. You know, be for men and women. Embrace your inner beast. Absolutely. And I'd wear tank tops all the time. You'd come out there with your Britney Spears mic and your your tank top on. I'm really, really tan. Like crazy. How are you beasts doing? The crowd. (laughs) (laughs) You'd be like Jordan Peterson, but hairier. Like uh, Tom Cruise was in Magnolia, kind of like that kind of a guy. Yeah. 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 Uh, More of uh, other stuff on the way. Have we heard any more from Jeff Bezos now that he's had his. His amazing going into space experience, what it's, what the way he looks at the world now changed everything, man. We're, we're all on this blue marble together, man. We're sharing it in space. We've got to attack global warming and tear down the borders. Always large, global warming. And then your package will get there eventually. Right, <laughs> man? It's just, we're all together. Quit yelling at me. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So we talked on our podcast yesterday about the different kind of bellies. If you don't listen to one more thing, you should go to Armstrong and or Arms, yeah, ArmstrongandGetty.com. ArmstrongandGetty.com. We record another segment after the show every day for some reason. I don't know why we do that. But anyway. Can we stop? <laughs> uh, different kind of bellies. And they say there are different exercises you should do for different bellies. And then I'll tell you about the new term, hyperpalatable foods, which is clearly true. Um, these aren't really related stories, or they're not written together, but... There, they've identified five different kinds of bellies, and you're supposed to do different exercises to get rid of the different bellies. And I'm not sure which of these I have. There's mommy belly, which is its own thing, and you know we all know what that is, and that's completely that's just as nature. That's nature. Yeah, that's what that is. But there's stressed belly, gluten belly. The roundest one is gluten belly. So they're claiming that whenever you see a guy with a just like it almost looks like it's not real. Yeah, like a, the, the a, big, hard belly. Just hard and perfectly round like a basketball, and often the rest of the body is not heavy at all. It's a, That's called gluten belly. I'm guessing that's from eating too much gluten, they're claiming here. Hormonal belly, which has got kind of a fold in the middle of it. And, and then alcohol belly, which kind Uh-oh. of slopes down and then has a little lump out there. Oh, eh, I don't know. And they have different exercises that you do for that. And I tried doing some of the exercises on the podcast. If you want to check that out, you can go to armstrongandgetty.com. But um, you end up with those bellies by eating too many hyperpalatable foods. The University of Kansas, which I attended for one year and got half of an MBA. Yes. And maybe I'll get Congratulations. The, maybe I'll get the other half someday. Um, Sir, we need a consultant for this company. One with some knowledge, but not too much. We can't afford somebody with a master's in business administration. Could we afford somebody with half of one of those? Yes. Armstrong is your man. Armstrong, eh? Uh, Hyperpalatable foods have combinations of ingredients that can enhance a food's palatability and make a food's rewarding properties artificially strong. Right. We've talked about this over the years. I first learned about it from 60 Minutes. Geez, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. Common examples would be various chocolates, hot dogs, pretzels, and brownies. Particularly things, well, the team compared these addictive munchies to the weight gain potential that comes from eating high-energy, dense, uh, 
and ultra-processed foods. But the uh, the the freaking manufacturers and the fact that they built a flavor that that our brain wants more than sex, and then they make that flavor disappear the second it touches our tongue, so that your brain is saying, "Get some more of that! Get some more of that!" is just I'd, I'd like to find those people and choke them out. <laughs> I think my favorite pretzel chips are that. They're, they're, they're Parmesan garlic pretzel chips or something like that with a little uh, bourbon in the evening. Oh, my God. But you just want to keep eating them. I think they are that. They got that chemical because they got the powder on it. The, all, all chips are that way. That's funny. I was telling my son the other day about the, I think it was laced potato chips. Uh, their slogan back when I was a kid, I'll bet you can't eat just one. Yeah, I'll bet you can't just eat one because our scientists have figured out the human brain and made it impossible for you to eat just one. That's why you can't just eat one. Right. And uh, the only the only answer I've certainly learned over the years is I can't eat the first one. It's not hard for me to avoid eating a little bag of those, you know, chips. But if I eat one, me and every other human being, your brain is just screaming for the next one. Yeah, that slogan's a lot like Mark Zuckerberg saying, bet you can't just log out of Facebook for five minutes, which would be healthy. <laughs> because we're messing with your brain. <laughs> yeah, we're taking advantage of your brain, which is working correctly in wanting this. Yes. And we're exploiting that for our benefit, even we, even though we know it's terrible for you. Yes, and we'll drive up child suicides and the rest of it, but you don't understand. We'll make lots of money. Or make you crazy fat in the, in the case of the chips. Right. Um, the reason I brought this up was what they say about sweets. They did a, well, I'll just read this. The results show that the sweets table at your local buffet is the biggest culprit when it comes to weight gain, more so than fatty foods. Researchers discovered that participants eating more hyperpalatable carbohydrate and sodium foods gained significantly more weight over the next year when they did this study with people going and eating at an all-you-can-eat buffet. Um, sweets are really, really the evil thing out there, and we all need to just keep our eye out for that. Well, that's true. I'm talking to me. It's not exactly a revelation to say sugar and empty calories are worse than protein. They called it fatty foods, but... Hyperpalatable carbohydrate and sodium food reveals how hedonic eating... Do you do that? ...is the bigger trigger for packing on excess pounds. Hedonic eating is a general term that's used in the literature to refer to eating that's more focused on the rewarding characteristics of food as opposed to strictly satisfying physiological hunger. For the average human being, how much of the food do you eat each day that satisfies hunger because you need it to continue to move around as a beast, and how much of it is to just a reward for whatever other pleasure centers of the brain are going off? God, the ratio's right. got to be like five to one, doesn't it? I need a nutritionist, not only to plan all my meals and snacks to the extent that I'm allowed to have them, but he's going to have to have like a taser as well. Right. Or just some sort of cattle prop. A compliant belt. Yeah, there's got to be uh, both a reward and a sanction. Yeah. I think that if somebody stuck a taser on my neck every time I reached for chips, eventually I'd stop reaching for chips. I think. Yeah, probably pretty quickly. Or you'd kill him. Or you might fire the guy. Hey, stop doing that. Yeah. I want some chips. I'm paying Read you. Read the contract again. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm paying you. I don't understand this relationship. I'm paying you, yet you keep shocking me in the neck every time I treat you to candy bar. It's in the third paragraph. <laughs> it's a weird thing about Fourth the human... Fourth paragraph says I get to shock you if you argue about the contract. <laughs> so here'd be my uh, final question on you know the 900th time we've done the same information in a different package from a different uh, study. Uh, are there any human beings that don't know this at this point? Mm, they're 800 pounds. 
No, but they even know it. They know it. Do, do you yeah. do you think you know any human being that doesn't know this stuff at this point? Yet we continue the the the, the, the obesity craze. As far as I know, has not is continued to grow. It hasn't plateaued or certainly started to recede. If it has, so, I haven't heard it. So it would seem that, here's my conclusion from this, this information is not doing any good. We've all heard this a hundred times, presented with different words from different university studies in different ways. We all know this, yet we still get bigger. Yes. So that so information is not the answer. No. Tasers, that's the answer. I don't know what the answer is, but information is not it. The beast can't control itself. The beast wasn't made to control itself. It was made to gather as many calories as possible to to prevent starving to death. Yep. And it'll take tens of thousands of years for us to evolve uh, into a different beast, probably. Yeah, this could end up, you know, there's the, uh, the, the j- Jurassic period. There's the various periods throughout history. This might be the fat period for wow. human beings. There's just like a hundred-year period where everybody was fat before fat. we before we evolved to, where our brains evolved to. The people that could res- this this will be natural selection, you know, a straight out of Darwin. The people that can resist uh, chips and soda and all that sort of stuff will will have more healthy offspring and more offspring. No, they don't. The intelligent people who are fit aren't having any kids, so Darwin doesn't work in this case. Don't. Hmm, never mind. The fatastic period. <laughs> Armstrong and Getty. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. And now, here's Armstrong and Getty. Joe Manchin, he's the Democratic senator that really keeps... Boy, he's the only thing that keeps Bernie Sanders' entire agenda from getting passed through the Senate. And uh, a, a suffering under it, Joe Manchin, Democrat from Virginia, because he's in a very red state, but he's a Democrat, and he um, and he thinks a little differently. But he said this. You know, let me let me throw this in real quick. I'd I'd also salute uh, salute <laughs> Kirsten Cinema of Arizona for being a very sure independent that. Democrat. She deserves some credit. Yeah, I yeah credit. So I I always wonder about that. So do they get credit for being independent thinkers, or are they just? Doing what a lot of politicians do, if they want to keep their job, they have to do this. Joe Manchin, he gets if he was a Bernie Sanders Democrat, he he wouldn't be a senator anymore. So I, I never can tell if politicians are doing anything brave or smart or visionary, or if they're just plain looking at the polls and doing what you know keeps them in their their seat. Yeah, it's a fair question. It's hard, hard to, to tell. say. But anyway, Joe Manchin said this about the whole climate change, global warming, you know, electric cars, everything on uh, one of the talk shows this weekend. My concern is basically being realistic and being practical about what's going on in the world. Within the next 10 years, 90 percent of pollution is going to come from one continent, Asia. And China is going to have 3,500 coal-fired plants. In America, they make you believe we only have 504. There's 6,600 operating, they're building another 1,063, none in America. And they're telling, make you think that, well, if you get rid of all the coal-fired plants, it, cl- 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 it basically solves the pollution. It doesn't. Well, it's, it's a big signal to the rest of the world. And the rest of the world's not going in that direction. We're the only country. If we get out of the fossil business, there will not be any uh, R&D, recession development. We have $12 billion for carbon capture sequestration. 
If you don't do that, you're not going to save the climate. So those are the two camps on this whole thing with global warming. And I'm sure is hell glad Joe Manchin, who happens to live in a coal state, um, uh, feels the way he does about this. Some of you think, well, we need to be the leaders. We need to lead on this by, okay, now I'm throwing in pejoratives, destroying our freaking economy um, uh, by going electric cars and all that sort of stuff. China doesn't give a crap. India doesn't give a crap. And as he just said, it, the 90% of it's going to come from other countries. So it's not. we, we aren't even going to make a dent in global warming. But some of you believe, well, we need to be the leaders and we'll convince other people it's the right thing to do. I think you're you're completely... Unicorn riding uh, the, the five-year-old on this, and you hinted at it, but to state it explicitly, we've we've also returned to dependence on some really malign foreign powers for our energy, which yeah. that sucks. I, I I heard a guy on NPR the other day, and he was make he wasn't trying to make a conservative point. Is it conservative and liberal on this stuff? Maybe. But he wasn't. Maybe. I just I, to me, it's realist and, and yeah. unicorn rider. He wasn't trying to make the Joe Manchin point on this about electric cars, but he was. He was making the argument that most electric cars in the country, California is the only exception. And California, by the way, if you don't know this, can't keep its electricity on if it's windy or if it gets too hot. If it gets too hot, we don't have enough electricity for everybody. We have to buy it from other states, and if they happen to be hot too, we don't have enough. So the the, the one exception about electric cars, you know, is got a giant asterisk next to it. But this guy in NPR was making the point that look, people feel good about themselves driving electric cars in various places in the country. They are an, they are no better for the environment than the gas car. And he went through the examples of how the coal needs to be burnt to make the electricity for the electric car to work. You know, we've jokingly called electric cars coal-powered cars, because they are. Only in California is that not true, but California can't even keep its lights on. So, you know, that's not setting an example that it's doable. If they suddenly were to triple the number of uh, electric cars sold in California, that would enormously tax the grid that would be a serious problem and and you know i don't don't know just like i say it's about realism Uh, you know it's funny in a a similar vein i just came across this article from the wall street journal listen to this and i'm not a cynic about fossil fuels uh, and and renewable energy i'm a realist now we're gonna have to stop driving gas-powered cars it'll happen um uh, but they're going to have to figure out the whole coal-powered electric car thing. That, that, that's got to be solved. Probably nuclear. I think that's the best way to go. The, the funniest example of that sort of thing I've ever come across is solar panels. It's, it's unintentionally hilarious. It's tragifarious. It's, it's tragic. It's hilarious. And I'll tell you about it in a second after a quick word from our friends at Simply Safe. Uh, Chad and Eleanor Lawrence designed the first Simply Safe system in their kitchen because their friend had gotten their home broken into and they were struggling to find a security system that's simple enough to set up and use and not like incredibly expensive. So they invented Simply Safe, which has now won all sorts of awards for being simple. Yeah. But if, Effective. Oh, and they've got great people, too. Yeah, there are salesmen out there from other companies that are going to try to convince you that you need this really expensive, complicated system, and five workmen are going to come to your house and wire up the whole place and everything like that. No, Simply Safe has won all kinds of awards as being the best security system out there, but it's super simple to set up. 
You just go to simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. You click around and customize it for your home. Ordered. It comes to you. You set it up yourself in 30 minutes. And then you've got the contact with fire, burglary, medical emergency help, and help setting up the system if you need it. They're always there for you. Visit simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. Customize your system. Get a free security camera. 60-day risk-free trial. Nothing to lose. Go to simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. Use that code to get that free camera. Simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. All right, so here you have it. It's the unintentionally hilarious situation with solar panels. Solar panel installations surging in the U.S. and Europe. Western countries are seeking to cut their reliance on fossil fuels. Here's the funny part. China is by far the world leader in solar panels. Did you know that the industry of solar panel production is incredibly energy intensive and the vast majority of that energy comes from carbon dioxide belching coal burning plants in China. China! So it's kind of like the how much uh, uh, you know bad stuff happens has to happen to make the plastic bags at the grocery store that right. keep you from using the paper bag that would be cutting down trees. There's a hole in the sky once a tree once stood. Somebody's making money. Do we have it? Come on. Stand up. On your feet. Everybody sing. Everybody. So, uh, yeah, it's very similar to that. Concerns are mounting in U.S. and Europe that solar industries' reliance on Chinese coal will create a big increase in emissions in the coming years as manufacturers rapidly demand that would make the solar industry one of the world's most prolific polluters analysts say wow. undermining some of the emissions reductions achieved from widespread adoption could be it's a net negative so, so <laughs> at least for now so again yeah i i agree you don't want to just come off as a knee-jerk cynic there's no way to improve on 20th century ways of powering things no of course there are but you don't want to be a knee-jerk unicorn riding idiot either in that solar and wind are automatically good or carrying your cloth bag to the store is saving trees when they do you know the math on that and figure out no the amount of water that needs to be used and the electricity and everything to make the cloth bag is actually worse than the tree you cut down because there's a hole in the sky hole in the sky where the tree once was somebody's Somebody's making money there's a hole in the sky where the tree once was was. somebody's Somebody's making making money on your face um but but there's all kinds of think these things through i guess that'd be my only point our only point make sure you think these things completely through so it's actually a benefit before you start denying people the right to have a plastic straw or a, a paper bag at the grocery store or force us into electric cars or whatever well, what's especially frustrating is a guy who roots for the United States and, and her people to have jobs, for instance, and to continue to lead the world. It's not coincidental that China leads the world in solar panel production. And, oh, by the way, they do a lot of coal-fired uh, electrical plants. No, their use of low-cost coal-fired electricity has given the country's solar panel manufacturers a competitive advantage, allowing them wow. to dominate global markets. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. That is incredible. So that We was, can make your panels for you 20% cheaper because we belch filth into the sky. It's a deal. But that's really the point the lefty was making on NPR. And again, he was making my point. He had different solutions. Was that forcing all these car manufacturers into electric cars to make electric cars that the public doesn't want, by the way, um, 
unless you come up with a, a solution to where the electricity comes from, we're not accomplishing anything. Let's see. Scientists say installing Chinese-made paddle panels almost always result in a net reduction over time because the panels are usually replacing electricity generated from fossil fuels, uh, but it's several years before it offsets the emissions. So I could, you could make the argument it's still a net positive, but it takes years. Oh, by the way, the uh, Biden administration, part of that, it's it's a trillion dollar, it's $550 billion in new spending, but the infrastructure plan, I think they were spending $50 billion on tens of thousands of charging stations across the country, whether they're needed or not. Because, you know, the, the, it's uh, it's not a chicken and the egg thing. You're not going to get an electric car if there are no charging stations anywhere near you. So they're trying to gin up the uh, popularity of electric cars thereby. Armstrong and Getty. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I wanted to play something for you. It's just, it's so good and so eloquent. Um, uh, first of all, let's hear from Ilhan Omar, who is an America-hating radical who hates the Constitution, swore an oath to it, but would burn it the first chance she got in clip 80. As long as our economy and political systems prioritize profit without considering who is profiting, who is being shut out, we will perpetuate this inequality. So we cannot stop at criminal justice system. We must begin the work of dismantling the whole system of oppression wherever we find it. Well, you are a full-on Marxist. Yeah, or, she's or, a, or communist. And an enthusiastic totalitarian. Absolutely. The government must be in charge of who gets what uh, and, and why in every aspect of it. Uh, she's crazy. Well, Ayan Hersi Ali, who you may be familiar with, she is a Somali Dutch American activist. She talks a lot about women's rights in the Islamic world. Uh, a, a brilliant writer. She's fought against forced marriage, honor killing, female genital mutilation, child marriage, the rest of it. Um, and is a great believer in liberty. And uh, recently she did an interview while she's, where she was talking about, um, Ilhan Omar. Uh, and some of the other members of the squad and their attitudes. And I think what's important about this especially is this is a, a, a black woman, an African woman, a, a woman, an immigrant, and she puts a lie, a big, giant L-I-E, to the notion that those people of color who lecture us from left-wing media speak for everybody. They don't, not even close. In fact, they speak for a tiny minority of people who who happen to be so vicious that they will ruin your career or get you run out of your school or, or whatever. Um, so they are outsized in their influence because they're vicious, but they do not speak for all black people, for all people of color in America. Not even close. Anyway, Ayan Hirsi Ali is responding to the squad and, and statements like we just heard from Ilhan Omar. We'll start with 81 and roll on. I listened to someone like Ilhan Omar, and she's in Congress, the United States Congress, and she's saying, well, why don't we dismantle the whole thing, the economic system, the political system, and it makes you wonder, why, why flee from Mogadishu, why flee from anarchy, why flee from oppression, and then come to the United States, and then do all your best to turn Minnesota and the U.S. into Mogadishu? 
It's one of the things that I'd like to ask her. That's pretty good. Yeah, she gets to say that because she is a black woman and she has more to say. Clip 82. I don't think we need a revolution. And I think these movements, and Ilhan is just one of these people who are symbolizing that and who are the faces of that. I think we need to resist and to say, look, you've come to America in search of freedom. You've come to America in search of equality. We find it here. Our system is not perfect. We can fix it, and we do it through conversations. Um, and what we are seeing these days is uh, a very loud, in my view, minority who are saying, let us not seek solutions through the system we have, but let's dismantle it. And I am passionately against it. Ah, uh, Why not? Here's more from the eloquent Ayan Hirsi Ali, clip 83. Again, we have to find solutions, and I think we can. Remember, the United States of America is only 244 years old. It is the one nation that has abolished slavery. It is the one nation that has um, stood up for civil rights and has passed laws and has allocated huge resources to achieving, or at least aspiring to achieve, full equality. I do not believe in guaranteeing equality of outcomes. I believe in equality of opportunity. And it's the only nation today in the world and has been for a long time where you can seek equal opportunity and where that is encouraged, it's urged. I know so many philanthropists right now who want to invest in that. Well, and finally, what do you do if you're intimidated, you're bullied by the extremist left and you're not sure what to do? She has a suggestion. I think we should reject and stand up to crazy people who are saying that our system, the United States of American, you know, our America is made up of systemic racism. If there's one phrase that really makes me go mad in like very angry, it's that word used against America, the American Constitution, the American system, in fact, gives us all an argument to strive and to aspire to make things better. So the Ilhan Omars of this world, the Ocasio-Cortezes of this world, I think they need to take time out and travel in the real world, other countries where you don't have that, where there are really bad systems. You know, it occurs to me listening to her, what we have is a systemic resistance to racism. That's what we have in our system. It it has stood up firmly, better and better and better, against the fairly natural human impulse to prefer people like you, which is, like I say, it's universal. It's not necessarily great, and we need to resist it and make sure nobody's rights are ever violated, but uh, our entire system is, is fighting against that impulse. We need to strengthen it. We need to adjust it. We need to work within it. But the idea that we need to tear it down and build a Marxist utopia like Ilhan Omar wants? No, thank you, sister. We got a pretty good country over here. Thanks for coming from Somalia and lecturing us on how to run a country, but uh, no thanks. Now, I get how uh, people who grow up in the United States always with enough food for almost everybody um, never having to worry about, uh, you know, uh, the secret police coming into your home or being at war or any of these things. Um have an opportunity. I understand how if you grow up in this country, you focus on the imperfections 
until you're old enough to to understand. I have no idea how you get here from another country, especially a sucky one, an asshole one. How you get here and 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 want to attack our imperfections? That that that's a weird twisting of the mind. There, it's it's a relative rarity too. Yeah, it's pretty rare. Yeah, I just think she's a, a Marxist. I just think she's a, a political kook. It's like when I was at the, I told the story at the time when I was at the jewelry store, must have been a year ago, I was buying something at the jewelry store, and the guy was from someplace in the Middle East, and I don't remember where the guy runs the jewelry store, owns a place, and his kids work there, and he said, in this country, you get pulled over by the police, you're not worried they're going to drag you out of the car and beat you in the street, just for the heck of it? He said, I don't worry about that. He said, in my country, it happened all the time. Wow. Wow. Oh, that reminds me, MSB. Uh, Mohammed bin Salman over in Saudi Arabia, he, he's really cracking down on the clerics and the power of like fundamentalist Islam in general. He's even making them turn down the volume of like the call to prayer and the, uh, broadcasting of the prayers out of the, the speakers on mm. the mosques. He's making them turn down the volume by, is it like two thirds or something like that? Uh, that's an interesting move. The, uh, the angry wackadoos in the streets of uh, your sand countries who are so mad at the U.S. there for a little while. Uh, I wonder, I wonder if they're going to turn against the uh, Saudi regime again. Uh, I don't know. Good question. That was, uh, old, uh, Osama bin Laden's original motivation, right? Dislike of the Saudi regime. Yep, absolutely. Armstrong and Getty. <laughs> 